to NISA Talks General Election Podcast. Today we're going to discuss the regional divides. I'm Jogjit Chadha, the Director of the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. I'm very pleased to have in the studio with me today Anna Rincon Asnar, who heads our productivity research here, and David Nguyen, one of our senior economists. Now, it's clear that the regional divide has been an incredibly important topic in the social and political dialogue of the last 10 years or so. It's been more exposed that there are regional problems in the UK. But for people of my age and perspective, it sounds a lot, lot like the 1980s, where there was equally strong talk about the north-south divide. So I'm trying to wonder a little bit about what's different and what's the same this time round. So I wonder if I can start by asking Anna, given all this talk about regional divides, can you help us put it in perspective? Just how bad are these in the UK? And have they actually got worse? Yes, so we definitely uh, are one of the developed countries with the highest level of inequality. Obviously, it's not fair to judge all measures because inequality, we can talk about a number of dimensions, about uh, changes over time, so definitely has not got better. So that's what I will say. And we can highlight a number of dimensions that are important for people and living standards. We can talk about income, general uh, household income and also wages. We can talk about employment opportunities for everybody. We talk, talk about productivity in terms of business environment. So we can talk also about other measures of subjective perception of well-being and health and mortality. In terms of income, we can see that income inequality has gone increasingly fast since the late 80s until now. In particular, when we take into account the housing cost, which for some of the families represent a high share of the budget, mm-hmm. uh, so, so we can talk about this, then we can talk about wages in particular. So we know that London has a big wage difference in relation to many many of the areas. But we can see that also the same areas that were low wage 15 years ago are the same areas that we can see they are low wage now. So there's a lot of persistence in a level of uh, differences in wages across, not only across regions, but I would say across smaller uh, geographical areas like local authorities. Mm. Again, employment, we can talk about what about employment, so employment levels are high across the UK on average, but we can see differences, and again, like those regions, perhaps some of the northwest, some of the northeast, that have mm. higher levels of unemployment, remain the same. Mm. I will highlight also Northern Ireland, which lower uh, labor market participation compared to the average of the UK. So, so yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's many levels, that's a rather stark story, because you're saying that across a lot of dimensions of social and economic progress, there are large regional inequalities that have persisted over time. And I'm trying to think, just before I turn and get too upset or depressed about some of the things you're saying, are there any parts of the country that are anywhere near as good as London, in the sense in which we keep saying London is ahead? Now, it's clear to me, walking around the streets of London, many parts of London are also a little bit behind where the frontier is. But are there any other parts of the country that are anywhere near the kind of regional levels of income attainment or social well-being that we see in London? So we obviously have, as, as a region as a whole, we have the London and the southeast. Wow. In areas of the northeast, in some of the measures of uh, business and innovation that perform better than the average, obviously there are other measures such as life satisfaction, they are not concentrated in London. Mm. There's like huge variation across the UK. Mm. A lot of the deprived areas in London, they report very low levels of satisfaction, mm. although over the whole of the last few years, London has improved overall okay. in levels of satisfaction, perhaps reflecting some of the better opportunities available. So if I was looking to live somewhere 
outside of London, uh, where is life I satisfaction was, particularly high? Uh, I mean, I, I think I, I, it's a huge variation. I wouldn't okay. be able to pick an area on its own. Okay. I think, for example, I could pick Scotland. We have a better opportunities in terms of better productivity outcomes, ah, uh, better investment as a I share see. of regional GDP than yeah. other of the areas. So, so there are identifiable factors in yes. Scotland that are yes. causing it to have higher levels of satisfaction that yeah. reflect investment in education. I wonder if yeah. I could just turn in to... In particular, education. Oh, it's one of the areas with higher levels of education right. outside the area of London, South East, and yes. some of the West Midlands, where some of the bigger cities concentrate the highest share of, of high-skilled workers. That's incredibly interesting, because it's clear that from the Scottish referendum campaign that the Scottish government continues to put high levels of resources into education, but also the university system there has been is, is anciently well-established. It's been around for many centuries, which I think yes. is an incredibly interesting point. David, may I turn to you in terms of anything you might want to add to that general thought on regional divides in, in the UK, particularly its persistence and the extent to which the same areas that looked worse off a couple of generations ago seem to be the same ones today. Is that a fair statement? And if so, can you help us understand why? So we've been looking at some of the data going back to the kind of mid-century. So we have data for 60, 70 years. And I think it's fair to say... The last century, the middle of the last century. The middle of the last century, exactly. So I think it's fair to say that if we look at that data, that even though regional, the regional divide or regional disparities have somewhat decreased in the 1980s, that trend has reversed afterwards, and especially since the financial crisis. So actually, regional disparities have become larger in the UK. Thank you, David. Um, can I understand a little bit more about this question that is raised in your brief? Then that's this idea that this is a spatial problem. Now, we have an idea that there are spaces that are worse off than other spaces. But what I'm trying to understand when I think about that, is that just because those spaces are occupied by particular industries or different particular sectors? Or are there some effects that mean that particular regions are worse off, even if they have the same industries in place? I'm just trying to understand that a little bit, David. Yeah, thanks. That's a good question. I think the spatial problem or the relative decline of certain industry sectors, I think, to some degree, are actually two sides of the same coin. Mm. So in that sense, we know that economic activity tends to cluster in space. There are certain reasons for that, mainly that highly productive firms and workers tend to cluster or locate close to each other because they want to exploit certain knowledge spillovers, technology spillovers, or spillovers in terms of intermediate inputs and shared labor pools. There's a certain kind of agglomeration benefits that makes firms cluster in space, which in turn means that we end up with a number of sectors in a number of places. And unfortunately, there's, there are less sectors that the UK is competitive in than there are places. Can I understand their thoughts? So is it right to say that the same positive agglomeration effects that lead to some places being boosted in terms of their productivity levels or income levels would also have the same effect in reverse, that if these things were not there, those areas stay relatively poor because there are none of those agglomeration effects. Is that, so is it, is it amplifying the, the differences, these kind of agglomeration effects on one side or the other? Is that a fair interpretation of what you're saying? I think it's important to highlight that there's nothing inherent about most places that makes them inherently worse off than others. So. Mm where these agglomeration benefits tend to work is not necessarily tied to, let's say, the, um, the kind of inherent factors within a region. So in that sense, there's nothing that would stop places from, from becoming um, better in economic and social terms. Mm. 
not yeah. sure if that answers your question. Or no, I, I think it does. It says that, that there are opportunities. So the areas that are, relatively speaking, at the bottom of the income distribution or productivity distribution across the country, there are opportunities to bring them up. There's no absolute reason why they cannot catch up with the appropriate policies in place. That's the way I'm interpreting what you're saying. Would you think that's a fair interpretation? I think it's a fair interpretation. So I think a lot of the discussions we're having should center around narrative. So in that sense, I think there's a lot of negative narrative around a lot of places, mm. but it doesn't mean that they can inherently become better. What I would say though, is that we probably won't be able to make every place a high-end, high-tech mm. uh, sector a cluster in every place. So in that sense, spatial disparities to some degree are here to stay. The question is really, and that's a political choice, to what degree would we be willing to accept spatial disparities between places? I see. Anna, may I turn to you? To what extent is the regional problem we're discussing today the other side of the story of the productivity puzzle that we've talked about a number of times at this institute? Yeah, and that's, that's come really up a number of times. So can we understand, is it really the same thing or is it a different thing? Altogether? So it links somehow to some other stuff that uh, David has mentioned on the industry structure. Mm. So basically we know with the UK, and this is more mentioned at, a, at an aggregate level, at a macro mm. level, how weak productivity is. We've seen these broad-based across sectors. Mm. We see it's broad-based across regions. So the productivity is weak across all the border regions. However, given that the big uh, productivity difference that London has with respect to many other regions, basically what this does, it drags down, holds back overall productivity. The difference in productivity between the capital and some of the region is, in many other cases, twice. Twice as productive London as many other regions, yeah. if not more. Yeah. So why is this? So we see pretty much London is more productive in all, in all sectors, except a few. I will highlight industries or sectors such as the finance and information and communications technology sector, which is probably the highest productivity, major productivity ones, and it has a huge weight in the London economy, which is much smaller in some of the other regions, which there is potential, but the regions are at lower Yes. Lower levels. Uh, so incredibly, I mean, in fact, um, the point that you've made there links to one of our uh, vodcasts by yeah. Janine Boshoff, who made the point that there's a skills mismatch in many yeah. parts of the country. And if there's a human capital skills mismatch, there might be other types of capital mismatches, which yeah. might result from the best, in some sense, capital and labour being drawn into the capital, which is London, and the rest of the country not being able to match and get the workers that it wants and the capital that it wants, that it's all been attracted to London. And, and your interesting point is that might be holding back mm -hmm. the productivity of these more peripheral areas in the country. And that's a very interesting issue that I hadn't thought about in that way before, is mm -hmm. that London may be not only grabbing resources, but making it quite difficult for the other parts of the countries to get the hold of those appropriate resources as well, yeah, that's right. which, which then becomes a policy issue. Is, yeah. is that one way of thinking about this. Yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, a, a good way of portraying this issue and something that de definitely deserves more thought mm. and attention and how to be able to, to this type of pockets of knowledge being able to spill over to, mm. to mm. other regions. Uh, I mean, in fact, uh, some of the other regions were a bit more ubiquitous uh, across the country, like the large distribution sector, the productivity difference are rather small across mm. regions. And, and how would, uh, David, how would productivity be enhanced or regional differences be enhanced by earlier and greater investment in infrastructure, if that's the case? You may tell me it's not the case, but my reading of the literature is that it would be the case. So perhaps you can help us understand how that might help. Yes, absolutely. So I think infrastructure 
or here we have to distinguish between, let's say, transport infrastructure, for example, yeah. is a key driver and enabler of economic activity. However, it's, of course, not the only one. So mm. while there is a lot of focus on infrastructure because it's fairly easy, let's say, to spend large sums of money and see tangible results, I think there's other forms of infrastructure, including broadband and internet infrastructure, so digital infrastructure in general, as well as spending on research and development. There's... Um, there needs to be a focus on skills and education across regions. So I think transport infrastructure or infrastructure is one of many factors, but that has to be integrated within a larger plan at the policy level. I see. So coming back to that, Anna, when we talk about the policy level, one of the themes that's coming through in our podcasts is that because we've been tied up in this Brexit process, that many of the policies we would have wanted to see introduced have not been introduced or fully thought through because of the sheer mass of issues to do with Brexit. Yeah. Um, is that your reading of the question on regional and industrial policy as well? David just said that we need to think strategically about the policies that might be introduced. Is that also the case here as well, that we're not seeing the policies introduced early enough or, or in large enough quantities to have the material impact on the economy? Yes, I think any delays or any like big infrastructure project or business plans, in our view, is only going to exacerbate these regional disparities. Not least because uh, investment is already weak across the, the UK, across many regions of the UK. So in a way, we think there is a number of policies that needs to be targeted and focused at the weaknesses, yeah. which more support, for example, more support for investment and a skills base that yeah. uh, the gaps remain. Innovation, if we want to get closer to the technology frontier or even uh, push up the, the yeah. technology frontier, we need this support to innovation, create uh, the right conditions for businesses to operate across across the UK. That's very, yeah. I, mean, I think most of the literature I read suggests exactly that. Can you give any specific policies that you'd like to see from any government coming in next year that would help either investment or skills or retraining or infrastructure being brought forward? Uh, either of you really can come in on that. I think there's been a lot of talk about digital infrastructure or mm -hmm. broadband internet infrastructure. Oh, yes. yeah. So when we look at the data and we compute it um, using Ofcom numbers, we compute the share of premises that have access to, let's say, ultra-fast internet, for mm -hmm. example, there is really a large divide across the UK. For example, while there's more than 70 or 80% of premises in London that have access to ultra-fast internet, is closer to 30% in Wales. Goodness. That's one factor. If you look at full fiber internet, we know that the overall share in the UK is very low. It's around 8% of premises. However, there's some regions such as Northern Ireland, actually, mm. where already 25% of premises have access to full fiber internet. Okay, so that seems to me a very good example of, of what could be brought forward more quickly to give everyone a, a, a sort of level playing field in terms of developing their business and trading with the rest of the world. I think so, because especially now in the increasingly digitalizing economy or the digital economy, mm. as is generally referred to, the digital infrastructure and broadband, fast broadband internet, is becoming increasingly important. That's absolutely fascinating. There seem to me, listening to you both today, a huge range of issues for the UK to address. It's not enough just to point at the success of parts of London and say that's enough to carry the country over. Indeed, we could point at some of the successes in Scotland and say something similar as well. But the divides, it seems to me, are problematic. We will need concerted effort. Uh, we haven't discussed it today. There hasn't been time at the regional authority level as well as the national level. Uh, there's a huge agenda for any government to come in. I want to thank you both, Anna Rincon-Asna and David Nguyen, for joining me in the studio today. I'm Jagjit Chadha, the Director of the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, and this has been NISA Talks General Election Podcast, The Regional Divides. <laughs>